Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. You know, I intended to publish my interview with um, John Michael Godier today, but um, yeah, that'll, get, that'll be pushed back. I'll publish this on the 1st of May since... Well, that's a neat day because I have to wrap up, wrap around this month. Because so many things have happened and I've had so many news and everything. And I've gotten comments about my last episodes not being very journalistic again. Well, here you go. Have a really fact-heavy episode for which I really pushed, pushed back a more narrative-oriented one about science and Soviet Union and how Soviets saw the future. By the way, check out Event Horizon podcast or, or check out John Michael Gaudier on YouTube. He's a great guy and I was honored to be finally have a t- talk with um, some science podcasters and YouTubers. It was great. And I wish I, I'll do that in the future when I figure out what's, what's, what, what can I talk to them about. Turns out some of them are history fans. Who knew? But, um, but yeah, we have a lot of things. First of all, and um, like a short digest about everything, because we're going to be looking at Igor Girkin's stakes and, and some economy news, but um, most important stuff that has happened today is that, um, well, the Parliamentary Assembly of the European Council basically just supported today a creation of an international tribunal in accordance to Russian war crimes, which is great. The Parliament of Canada unanimously admitted today that the actions of Russian soldiers in Ukraine are genocide, which is, well, great. In Belgorod, the city in Russia next to the Ukrainian border, once again, air defense systems had started working because right now Ukraine is getting more capabilities to getting more capabilities to actually strike targets inside of Russia. They don't have a lot of it, but they are now using these capabilities to strike oil bases and other logistics targets, thus continuing the Ukrainian strategy of, you know, defending, but striking the logistics targets to wear down the wear down the Russian opposition. And we'll get to, to this more when, uh, when I give my comments on Igor Girkin's takes on the direct situation on the front. Finland have decided to not to pay in rubles for Russian gas, which I applaud to. On contrast, Hungary has agreed to pay for Russian gas and rubles, and um, Peter 
Siaptro, I, I guess I can't pronounce his surname, uh, the foreign minister of, Hung- of Hungary has stated this. And so, but, but to, to be honest, Hungary is a big surprise for all of us here on the eastern border and, and all of all the people in the post-Soviet sphere since, well, they also were invented, invaded by the Soviets. And, you know, remember the, the, the 50s? Their uprising being crushed by tanks? I don't know what's happening in Hungary. And at the same time, Italian oil company, oil and gas company, Eni, is ready to open a ruble account in Gazprom Bank to pay for the gas, reported by Bloomberg. But I don't know. I don't know, really, because how... Like, Italy is apparently very dependent on Russian gas, but Russia has been using this gas as a weapon, and they've been pretending to be nice and everything, but but I don't know. I, I just hope to give you these news about the people who actually are now funding all this war. Um, in contrast, something, well, kind of unexplained happening, because uh, it's mostly Chinese as far as I know. The magazine AliExpress, which is a huge market w- from where a lot of people in Russia buy their all-important goods from China, yeah, they've, they've stopped taking cards of the Russian banks who are under sanctions. At the same time, Russians can use something called a Quivi, uh, Q-I-W-I, uh, payment system, which is something of a Russian PayPal thing, as far as I know. It's really popular in Russia because it's an anonymous and um, doesn't have the same standards as PayPal does. Since, well, for example, just to keep you in the loop, when I get my, when I get my donations, they all go to PayPal... And I had to prove to PayPal where I live that I'm not funding terrorism. Had to send them pictures of my passport, my declared address, and had to send them my bills. It was a pretty difficult trip to get this whole system started. So, quite happy about that. And Quivi is used by a lot of scammers, and it's kind of popular in Russia. But hey, that's that's at least interesting. The cosmetic, the cosmetics company Koti, where which runs the popular brands of Max Factor and Rimmel is also just now announced that they will also leave the Russian market. Right now, I don't even know. Right now, you can count the number of, of companies that have actually stayed in the Russian markets on, on, on a finger in one hand, I think. I don't know. Currently, because of how many Russian companies are leaving Russia, about 600,000 people already have been um, gone on a suspension or a leave or, under, or are under risk of being fired. And in total, in total, um, the measurements and count, countments uh, order in Russia, that's, that's that economy thing, that's the guys who respond for the economy. Alexei Kudrin, one of the more financial people, have stated that um, the fall of the Russian economy in 2022, as you can kind of, you know, administer now, would be about 8.8%. Inflation, well, in comparison to the basic prognosis, will be about 20.7%. However, well, this is coded in these are official data. And at this point, inflation is already 11.32% at this stage. And it's just late April. However, well, the real prices on quite a lot of, quite a lot of stuff have actually increased way more than that. But, you know, sanctions are really working. And also... This uh, is impacting um, telecommunications uh, sphere in Russia, since the operators of mobile mobile networks they are have increased all the prices on existing tariffs on average on about ten percent, and that is that is basically 
you know, related to this whole war and sanctions. At the same time, one of the biggest hit spheres in Russian economy due to sanctions have been actually movie theaters. That's interesting, because apparently the industry reports that in the next two months, about half of all the cinemas in Russia can be closed, since no one goes there, since you can't show American movies. And Russian movies are, well, I watch them, sadly, because I have to now and then, and some of them are really great, but most of them are basically trash. It's just, just crazy. And a municipal deputy on the, in, in one of the Moscow districts, Alexei Gorinov, was also arrested and sent to prison because he apparently voted against, you know, he voted against the war in one of the statements, you know. The, the, they had to make a statement about the war in the municipal councils and he voted against this, so now, now he's um, gotten himself arrested. But those are the economy news. Let's switch on my friend Igor Girkin to talk about the exact stuff going on on the front lines. So, here are reports from Mr. Girkin. And um, I quote his Telegram channel because I translated it just right now, just, just so you knew. He only speaks about the, the Donetsk situation because that that's the only place where active fights are happening. And, well, the, re the reason why I didn't have any very extremely journalistic close-up episodes on this was because nothing much was happening. But now, the situation, situation has changed. The region in the bit south of Izium, and yes, it, it might be good for you to open a map of this conflict to understand the locations, because, well, in audio format I can't really explain where everything is, but if you if you can take a look at the map, that would be nice. Region southern south of Izium. Hard battles in all the perimeter of the Russian Plotsdarm are being held. Everywhere there are tactical movements. But... Um, Basically, about the data that's coming in to, to Strelkov, to Girkin, the hardest battles are happening on the right flank, in the region of the village Velikaya Kamishevacha, and possibly maybe just inside this village. And at the same time, on the very edge of this Russian assault, in the center of the Plotsdarm, in the region and possibly in the territory of the village of Novoya Dmitrovka. And um, the problem is that as Girkin states here, after we will take this village and our, our soldiers will come straight to the to the kind of the highway of Barvenkovo-Slavyansk and will create a threat of capturing it. However, this will be uneasy so as the as all the villages over there on this on next to this highway are basically melted together in one huge agglomeration. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, you need to understand that all the battles happening currently on the front lines are very deeply tied in and they're dragging out. The enemy, he speaks about the Ukrainian army here. Like I said, I'm just using Igor Girkin so that you can't really say that I'm just using pro-Ukrainian pro sources. Girkin's a very pro-Russian and very mani maniacal about this. 
the enemy, the Ukrainian army, has enough <clears throat> live forces so that not even looking at the lengthening of the front on, on this given theater of war, not to do, this has enough forces to not to allow the Russian forces to make deep movements inside. At the same time, the enemy, and again, he's speaking about the Ukrainian army here, Ukrainian army continues to pull back their forces with, um, with what they have left from their Plotsdarm on the left coast of, uh, of Sieverskaya Donsa, from the rayon, region of Liman Yampol and uh, Middle Donetsk Highlands leaving the more basically leaving the more more southern positions in this in this theater of war uh, to, to, to be more reinforced most likely it seems that the enemy is going to pull back pull back his forces from the territories that he w- wants to pull off and uh, reinforce the position the positions where the russians are making the hardest advances the russian federation and the donetsk and separatist rebels are in no condition to basically stop this in any way or form. In total, and this is the important part that you have to take away from this this Gidkin statement, in total, the enemy, the Ukrainians, are defending defending very, very skillfully, very stubbornly, and uh, they understand the situation and they understand their soldiers. There is no panic in the armed forces of Ukraine. And it is utterly clear to Mr. Girkin here, again, very pro-Russian source, that um, the the command, the HQ of Ukraine, have decided their pull on a vict of, of basically dragging out the war and winning some winning time, so that the maximum damage and maximum losses can be basically inflicted upon the Russian Federation at a cost of uh, very slow, but uh, very slow loss of territory. This is basically the NATO strategy as well that they've been that the NATO has planned for in this region, is that the NATO is planning on a defense in depth. They uh, don't care that much about territory; they can lose some, but they want to drag out the fighting and cause maximum damage in manpower and and loss of equipment to the Russian forces. And Ukrainians know this, and apparently, well, Igor Girkin knows this, but uh, as Putin is not very informed about the situation. He might not know this, which, again, changes the situation quite a bit. Since, yeah, Mr. Girkin has been yelling about the fact that Russia needs mobilization, that the forces they have are not enough, and that Igor Girkin's greatest fear right now is that if Russians start to dig in, then Ukrainians can regroup themselves, get more vehicles and weapons and everything from the West, and counterattack themselves. Furthermore, Igor Girkin has now stated that um, the greatest fear the Russian army now has is if, for example, the Polish army or the Romanian army enters the territory of Ukraine and says, no guys, you are free to go off and fight the Russians, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of the security here. Because in such a way, neither Polish nor Romanian forces would be involved in direct firefights with Russia. However, that would, lib- that would free up a lot of Ukrainian forces, and he's speaking about this in, um, in, in a very... In a very serious matter, and this is what they're doing. Basically, Igor Girkin states that there's going to be a lot of fighting, a lot of bloodletting, and that Russian forces are not mobile enough, as they're extremely centralized, to even focus and concentrate. And there's a lot of fortified positions and routes since Ukrainian army has been in being entrenched in this in this region for for such a long time. Also, Girkin is massively afraid of the fact that. Um, 
that Romanian army could again assault Transnistria and Moldova and well just handle the supplies which are stayed there to to um they could just give the supplies to Ukrainians which would help them a lot in the meantime on again economy front apparently Russia is now making more money from oil and gas than before the war started since although well embargoes are slowly being put into order but the price of oil and gas has increased so much that they can actually double this. And uh, Finnish experts state that um, from from selling in two months, uh, from selling kind of uh, hydrocarbons to EU, Russia has made about 44 billion euros. Even though in the last uh, last year, at the same amount of time, well, we well, we as in, as in the EU only paid 12 billion billion euros to Russia. So hey. Uh, sanctions need sanctions are working in some spheres, but um, the oil money, well, sadly, it keeps keeps working in Russia's favor. But in the next few days, which is why I'm only publishing the interview with John Michael Gaudier a bit later, we're gonna we're gonna see more updates about how this whole Donetsk operation goes because I expect a lot of rockets, I expect a lot of flags, and I expect a lot of fighting that I really need to report on. And to cap this one off, um, I actually, for the first time ever, I decided to do a thing that I should have done a long time ago. And I asked people on Twitter to, while I was recording this, to give me some um, some questions that I could answer, maybe, and that would be interesting. Uh, there was, there was, there was a, like, a lot of them, way too many for me to actually answer all of them in this episode. But uh, I think I'll just gather them up and make a special one, just when I answer all the questions, and just make more question-answering threads in, in the future if you if you if you ask me a question on on twitter in one of these threads it's quite likely that i actually might answer that if, if the question's you know answerable in a short amount of time and um first of all i have two questions that are tied together uh, one of them is by a user named kavika and she asked i or, or was it the he i don't know anyway the username kavika Based on what you know of Putin and the government under his control, how likely do you think is it is that nuclear weapons become involved in the war? And this was followed up by a question from a user, Wormhole Comics. I actually want to check out his page, because, hey, it looks like these guys make comics. And um, they asked, what exactly would you expect the global response to be immediately following Ru- Russian use of tactical nukes? What does day one, two following that look like? And I think... I think that a tactical nuke is likely. Strategic nukes, not so much. I mean, global apocalypse—it's a bit too insane. And I think that uh, Russia, R- Russian soldiers just might actually not pull the trigger. It's like twelve steps in the procedure for them to launch nukes. And I think some somewhere something's going to melt down. And even if that happens, I I don't really see a nuclear holocaust happening. Even if they decide to use strategic nuclear weapons. They'll drop maybe like three out of a hundred, and that's going to be a huge tragedy, but it's not going to be the end of the world. But the tactical nukes, yeah, I think they actually might drop a tactical nuke somewhere. If if situation goes south for them, and they want to win for this 9th of May, which is another question, by the way, uh, by Article 58, and he stated that some have said that on May 9th, Russia will celebrate a victory, others that Russia will formally declare war on the general mobilization of forces. Thoughts? Well... Russia wants a victory, general mobilization on the 9th of May. Uh, I think it like, might happen in the background. Formal declaration of war. Not so sure about that, definitely, but a mobilization is needed 
if Russia actually wants to win this, because right now they're in a losing position. So, if they want to... But, but, but mobilization would lead to basically a political suicide, since Russia's all pumped up and mobilization would be deeply unpopular. That's the thing. Russia is now, um, as, as much as they don't like to admit, in the end, even if they take all their goals, like, even if they take Donbass, what then? Like, Igor Girkin stated in his anal analysis that Ukraine will just regroup and counterattack anyways. And they can't take Kiev if they're going to restart those attacks or, or something. And even if they take Kiev, well, like, they'll, they'll be stopped on the river. I mean, there is no possible way how, Ukraine, how Russia is going to force Ukraine to capitulate here. So they either have to somehow overwhelm them with immense forces that should require mobilization, or actually start using tactical nukes. And I, for one, actually think that a use of a tactical nuke is more likely than full mobilization. You know, they'll just drop, drop it somewhere to intimidate people. However, they won't drop anything big nearby because it's too close to Russia. And, you know, Russian people know some, something or two about nuclear fallout. But a tech nuke could happen. And I, don't, I think that... Um, I, I don't think it'll, it'll start a nuclear war. I think that this will ensure... And I'm not sure if Putin thinks that far ahead. I think a single tactical nuke will be something that causes an outrage, causes massive aid to Ukraine, and puts every other government's nukes, you know, uh, at a ready. If after this tactical nuke more nuclear strikes happen, then I think we're all just dead. I I think that at that point, at that point, NATO might actually decide to nuke something back, and then we would get a full-scale war. Or, I don't know, I, I'm actually hoping that CIA manages to assassinate Putin somehow, but I, I don't think that a response to a tactical nuke would be would be going back to Russia, it's just going to be one, two days of total disbelief, and then, and then we can only hope that people with cooler heads prevail in the world. But yeah, quite a lot of, quite a lot of news today, and, um, well, we're going to continue this, but like I said on the 1st of May, another interview is coming. Thank you for listening, comrades. Do svidanje, tovarishi. Please support us on Patreon. I say this in every episode. and, and Or just click the donate button on the eastern border.lv. It's great. And uh, please donate to the Ukrainian army and, and help the civilians. And if you have refugees in your town, hey, help them out too. And always remember, happiness is mandatory. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.